Elevate Weekly is all about telling stories that evoke emotions, capture audiences, and inspire the viewer's eye. Whether your business is a small startup or a large corporation, digital marketing plays a key role for success, and that they are confident in fulfilling. Their services include video production, graphic design, social media marketing development, product packaging design, business card design, photography, and video as well. For more information, be sure to check out Elevate Weekly at elevateweekly.com. Rifle Supply's mission is to provide customers with a one-stop shop for all firearm needs. Focused around having a firearm store with a customer-friendly, customer-first approach, they aim to supply individuals from all skill levels and lifestyles with the most informative, helpful, and welcoming experience possible. From gunsmithing to fully customized builds, they are here for customers seeking a respectful, honest, welcoming, and experienced firearm store that provides all individuals with the tools and resources needed to transform them into knowledgeable and properly trained gun owners. From the first-time gun owner to the most experienced operator, everyone is welcome and treated to a pleasant experience in the shop. Rifle Supply stands proud as a company that holds the military and its veterans very close to their hearts. They employ vets and also have several veteran family members from Green Berets to Marines. Having such close ties to service members allows them to understand and push the importance of the stories they tell, experiences they have had, and the sacrifices they have made, which allows for the freedoms and liberties that people often take for granted. Check out Rifle Supply at riflesupply.com. 10,000 represents a stoic dedication to continuous improvement. Every day faster, every day stronger, every day better than yesterday. They don't believe in overnight success, miracle drugs, cure-alls, quick fixes, or shortcuts. They believe in works in progress. They believe in the value of our failures. They believe in dusting off and getting back up. They believe in grit, tenacity, and grinding. They know that there are no flashbulbs at the end of our runs and no microphones waiting to be shoved in our faces after a set. All that awaits is another mile, another rep, another shot at your personal best, and eventually a better, stronger you. The relatively new to the tactical community, 10,000 created its first ever tactical short in summer of 2020, born out of a desire to meet the training needs of the most elite members of the armed forces. To accomplish this, 10,000 worked with individuals from special ops teams across all branches of the military. Navy SEALs, Navy EOD, Marine Raiders, Army Green Berets, Army Rangers, and Air Force Special Operations. Their advisory board is comprised of the best of the best of these groups. These individuals helped guide everything in the project. Initial concepting, prototype evaluation, wear testing parameters, and team selection and led them and the rest of the tactical team to a final product worthy of the men for whom it was created. With the goal to continue to support and build products for the active duty and veteran communities in 2022, 10,000 is excited to collaborate with the Veterans Project and members of the military community as they further expand their product line and offerings. For more information, check out the link in our bio. And check out the website at 10,000.cc. Hey, everyone, just wanted to break in real quick here and let you know that this is indeed part two 
of a two-part series with Don Tran and Prime Hall, uh, the co-founders of Deep End Fitness and Underwater Torpedo League, both former Marsoc Raiders. Part one was epic. Had a great time with Don. Part two, Prime Hall coming at you right now. Here he is, the one and only Prime Hall. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'm your host as always. If you hear those noises in the background, uh, we're recording from a very unique place. <laughs> Dominic Cruz's house, uh, world champion UFC fighter. Thank, I want to thank Dom for letting us use his place. It's a beautiful spot. We're overlooking San Diego right now. Sunset. Paint the picture a little bit. All this green all around. It's beautiful California. So if you hear some noise in the background, maybe helicopters, birds, but it should be pretty quiet. So we've got with us today, Prime Hall who is the other side of Deep End Fitness, uh, Underwater Torpedo League, doing big things in the community, former Marsoc creator. Prime, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me, bro. Yeah, of Thanks course. for riding with us for the last, what, five days? Yeah, five days, man. <clears throat> it's been what super a solid. Yeah. I mean, how do you explain it? I how would you know. explain this trip, man? Like, in, in what we went through going on, you know, because you're opening up that new place in Austin. And it was a lot. Yeah, one word, flow. Flow. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by that? That's one of the things that we really practice and coach a lot is flow versus drag and full economy of motion where everything's working for you. When you break it down, you usually need some level of chaos or challenge in your life to create, unlock a flow state. Mm -hmm. And so we had a lot of challenges, especially with COVID and everything else. And for us to go roll through Scottsdale and then Austin and set up multiple locations and do everything that we did in five days is pretty good. Yeah, I saw extreme efficiency, to tell you the truth, especially for what's going on in this world right now, man. For you guys to be able to pull that off is huge. And so <laughs> you need to give yourself a collective pat on the back yeah. for sure. I know there will be time for that later, but it's pretty cool to witness. And I know I found myself inspired by just like you were talking about the economy of motion, just the, the, the amount of athletes, but the also working with, amateurs some who haven't even really been in a pool before and all of a sudden you guys are able to break it down in a way that simplifies everything and, and realistically i don't see you treating these top athletes any differently humanly speaking than some of the amateurs some of the guys who are coming in and have never swam right and that's huge yeah how do you do that i think it's uh one being present with you know whoever it is that you're coaching or training with and putting as much into that individual, we call it fire hosing them with information or with instruction or whatever we support, whatever you want to call it. We work with all different types of individuals and skill levels. And it's always just one of the, one of the things that we all coach and do this for is to see a positive shift with any person, anyone. Mm. So, and to see a transformation, you know, a lot of times in the water, you can have rapid transformation and you can see it and you can really 
quantify even in an hour or whatever, you can have a breakthrough. And that's something that I don't know that I could do with individuals if I was working in a gym or whatever, but I know that doing this work and going underwater and everything else that we do, um, it really unlocks the opportunity to reach a next level. Yeah, that's awesome. Explain the mission of Deep End Fitness <clears throat> and what you're doing. I know that people hear Don's podcast, but I don't really know particularly which order this will go in. So can you explain the mission briefly for people so that they can, those who are listening to Don might hear you again, but I, I would like for them to hear your perspective. Yeah. So the mission is really, I think about the culture. Whenever I was getting my undergrad, actually, I did a, one of my final papers was on cultures and that what I learned in research is that you can't really change or make a change. If you want to see a change, you know, in your culture, in your environment, you can't really make a immediate change when you're talking about a large group of people, but you can make shifts and then that will create change and create kind of waves. And so that's that ripple effect. And when we talk about create a positive shift, that's the mission. We'll create a positive shift with water confidence and the mindset and all of the different coaching and stuff that we do to empower individuals to reach a higher level of themselves. And, and no wonder you're so com comfortable in that role because that's really a special operations role in a lot of ways, right? Create shifts. You're not creating something systemically. Oh, you're not creating like a systemic overhaul where that culture is going to change. Like Afghanistan, places like that takes years and years, decades upon decades to change places like that. So in, in a way... It's the same thing, right? You're creating smaller, minor shifts, which equal larger shifts down the line. It, I do see a lot of similarities with special operations and startup organizations and going into different, doing an expansion and pilot programs and everything else that, that we do within Deep End Fitness and Underwater Torpedo League, creating a new sport, building the network into the Olympic pipeline, which we've done to an extent. and. So all that stuff, a lot of it is, it feels like special operations, to be honest with you. Yeah. You guys <clears> fit the role perfectly. And I noticed that between you and Don, there's a real economy emotion between the two of you and your different varying styles, such uh, close friends, but very different ways of doing things and seeing things, but they all fit the parallel of accomplishing the mission. As a team, you need those unique personalities, right? Yeah. You want diversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, um, so Prime, I really want to get into your past life and talk a lot about growing up as we do with these projects, but I wanted to know where you came from and what led your path into the Marine Corps. Yeah, I, it's pretty direct. I was, I grew up in South Texas in Corpus Christi, Texas, and it's down on the coast. It's the ocean. I grew up swimming, actually. My grandmother, not like on a swim team, going to the pools and my grandmother was a synchronized swimmer when she was in college. And so she wow. would take me like, since I was like two years old, I was in like these swimsuit competitions and <laughs> doing stuff like that. <laughs> I, I live with my parents in Corpus Christi. My parents got divorced when I was about 14. And then after that, <clears throat> my mom moved away and uh, my mom and my sister moved away. And then my uh, dad lived there. But he moved out with his girlfriend, so I ended up living by myself at a young age. So then one summer, my grandparents came down and uh, picked me up and took me like on a summer trip. We would always go on summer trips my entire childhood with my grandparents. So they took us, picked us up and took us to San Antonio or whatever. We had a week-long trip with our cousins. 
And then afterwards, while we were in San Antonio, I had seen some kids from Texas Military Institute. Is that what it's called? Yeah. TMI? Yeah, TMI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is what? The military boarding school in San Antonio? Yeah, in that area. I think it's right around, I think it's right around Kerrville, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw some kids in uniform at the mall or something, and I'd made a comment to my grandparents that I, you know, wish I could do something like that or whatever. And so whenever we got back, they dropped me off at my apartment or my wherever I was staying, like condo or whatever. And I was living by myself. So at, at 14 years old. Yeah. I might have been 15 at that time. Jeez. Wow. And so then they pulled me and were like, would you be willing to go to go do a tour at the military school down here in Harlingen at Marine Military Academy? Mm-hmm. I went and I was one of the things that had happened to me whenever I was, this is like before my parents split was I had a peeping Tom. So I had a guy that watched me in my window whenever I was growing up. And I actually lived in my closet. Wow. And that was going on for like years. Jeez. So my parents eventually caught him, but that was, but then they, they ended, they divorced like real soon after that. Wow. Did part of you, did part of you, kids, sometimes they blame themselves. Did part of you feel that when you were young? Like somehow that affected your parents' path? To be honest, I just, I don't even remember because I was pretty much in just survival mode from what I remember. Yeah, yeah. But but I say that because there was a lot of, since I was like seven, I had this guy that was watching in my window. And so I was constantly having to like navigate around that and hide and be able to like be in the shadows and not have this guy seeing me since I was maybe 12 or 13 when they caught him. Jeez, wow. Um. Yeah, 13. Wow. And, and so that whenever I lived by myself at that next year or whatever, I was always freaked out that this guy was like, you know what I mean? I just didn't have a lot of security at that point. And yeah. then no rules. And as kids, I'm a parent now. I got two kids need rules. That's security for them too. It's having that consistency in those rules and understanding what the boundaries are. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. So you go down to Harlingen for the Marine Corps Military Academy, right? Which interestingly enough, one of the first conversations you and I had was telling you that my squad leader, my best friend, who Carter Chick, who everyone knows took his own life a few years back, was a Golden Gloves boxer at the Marine Corps Academy. And I told you, I was like, man, look him up if you're down there because I want to know what's on the books there. But it's pretty fascinating that your path took you to the same place. What was that time like in, in being there at the academy? It was it was like a tryout the first month, it felt like, because we got there and we were in boot camp and it's Marine, it's Marine based. And a lot of the drill instructors at that time were Vietnam veterans and they were pretty hardcore Marines that had been drill instructors for at least like four plus years. Wow. Like two, so a lot of them had multiple tours on the depot too. Jeez. And we're all combat vets. Wow. And they were pretty hardcore. And uh, we got a really good product, I felt like, as far as the boot camp that they put us through. And it was, I think, a month long, though, instead of being three months. But you do a lot of the same stuff. And uh, it ends with a crucible. And then after that, then you're part of the program. I loved it. I really thrived there. I think within like a week or two, I started figuring it out once we were in boot camp. And then I was like, okay, cool. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you were there for four years? No, I was there for my, what was it? 
my my junior year. Okay, junior yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. So just your junior year? Yeah. Yeah. And then I went back back to Corpus Christi my senior year. That probably felt pretty weird to step into a regular public school after that. Yeah. Did it? Yeah, it was. Did you miss the academy? Yeah, I did. And I was like, I was questioning why, if I should have stayed or not. But I had freedom because at that time, like, I lived on my own, essentially, as a senior in high school. Yeah. And so I lived this life where I lived at my grandparents' house when they were in Spain, you know, on the golf course. And then I ended up living at my girlfriend's house and whatever else, you know what I mean? But I was pretty independent for my entire senior year. I would felt like I would have been better off had I stayed and gotten that, but everything happens for a reason. You are where you are now. Yeah. The flow, right? Right. Yeah. So, Prime, what was it like finally stepping into that role and joining the Marine Corps? And I'm sure by then you'd been groomed for it. You felt ready for it? Yeah, dude, that's such a MMA, Marine Military Academy is such a prep school for Marine Corps. And I felt like in a lot of ways, I was actually more, yeah. I got a lot of fights, a lot of just like on the spot. Knockdown, drag yeah. out action. Yeah. Not a lot of talk, but a lot of action. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like that though. Yeah. I kind of miss that, man. Yeah. I miss that in civilian life sometimes. I think people tend to think you're masochistic, you know, where you have that feeling like you want to fight. It's not that I want to fight. It's like, I just feel like sometimes problems would be easier solved if we could just handle them right there. So when you get to the Marine Corps, you went to MCRD or did you go to... Pen I did go to MCRD. Okay. So you're Hollywood Marine. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you like your time at MCRD? Of course, liking is a weird word, but how was that? Man, I was coming from South Texas at the time, and I'd been working construction with my grandfather for at least a year, maybe two at that point. And so when I came out, I was, one, I was comparing it to the boarding school the entire time. I felt that it was, I, I was thinking like, are they going to hit you or not? Yeah. That's basically one of the main things that it was on my mind going into it. Right. And they didn't. So that was pretty interesting. So, so it was a little easier than you thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember those drill instructors well? Yeah, for the most part. They're characters for sure. Yeah. 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 And you're in, so three months, right? Yeah. Did you feel like a lot was carved out for you during that time? Did you feel like you really grew a lot from your experience or? Mm. There were definitely things where I got pushed and I grew, yeah. I'd say. Um, definitely on the hikes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are tough. Yeah. And so, just getting adjusted to hiking at Camp Pendleton and doing, that was like the the crawl phase of getting broken in with that. But there were some challenging parts with that. From going from South Texas to Camp Pendleton and adjusting to all that. Oh, yeah. Yep. I grew up in that same environment. I know. So... You make it through, and where do you go from there? Went to infantry school. Okay. And I was initially supposed to be artillery. But whenever I was finishing boot camp, I met with the admin and gotten my contract switched to an 0311. So I thought that whenever I was getting to infantry school that I'd be checking into infantry school and then ended up in marine combat trading still as an artillery with on my contract and the whole time I was I was trying to get out trying to get switched and yeah. so I kept telling my instructors that I wanted to get switched I needed to get switched finally I had to say that I refused to train and sit on my bed and say that I refused to train and then like they came in and switched me 
Wow. And I went to infantry school, <laughs> turned in all my shit, or turned in all my shit, and then got all my new infantry school stuff. And... You wanted the infantry training, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got to be willing to work for what you get. Yeah. Most gotta... guys probably wouldn't be willing to do that. Yeah. So where did you go from there? What unit were you with when you got in finally? I was with 2-1. Okay, 2-1? Yeah. And where was your first appointment to? It was a training deployment. It was a 31st MU and it was actually a year long. Okay. Yeah. And and when you got back from that, did you do Iraq or Afghanistan? When I got back, we did Iraq. Okay, Iraq. And yeah. where did you guys go? Pretty much all over. I think we started in Mosul and then worked all the way down. We ended up just like all over the Syrian border down south. Wow. Wait, so what years were that? Was that? And that was 2009. Okay. We're turning everything over to the Iraqis. So... Again, that felt like a training deployment as well, where we were turning everything over, but it was a good experience. You know, there was still combat going on, so it was an intro yeah, type. And then right before I left for that, I was supposed to be going to Force Recon to a tryout or an in-doc or getting a recon contract. And uh, instead, they had just set up trailers across from where our infantry unit was for MARSOC at the time, or but Marine Raiders now. My commander had said, hey, instead of going to this recon thing, why don't you go try out for MARSOC? And mm. connected me and gave me a nudge to do that. So hats off to him. And then, yeah, I went in, started my package before Iraq, and then I was training the whole time. I met the requirements on paper so then I could go to selection after Iraq. And so right after Iraq, I went to selection in North Carolina. That's where I met Don. Okay. How difficult was that selection <clears throat> process for you? Did you feel like you were combed and, you know, groomed for it or did it, was it pretty, I imagine it's rough for anybody, but how was it for you? Yes and no. On one aspect, it really was an ass kicker for me or kicking the nuts. Because when I came into the Marine Corps, I was maybe 180 pounds, like after boot camp. And at this point, I was 225 or 230. So once I started lifting weights, I just gotten bigger. And uh, it was hard for me to lose that cut, like to cut that down. And because I'd be cutting down from 240. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was just a lot to run with. You know what I mean? Like it was heavy because my frame was like 180 you know, or 190. So I felt like I was just, because I had gotten big over two years or what, three years or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it was, that was the, that was a hard part yeah. now, but I'd been training and doing really <clears throat> challenging training for many years, at least a good three years before that. I'd had a, a mental focus training that I did down in San Diego. That would be like working out for six to eight hours straight of doing different stuff. And then we would finish with holding a stick out. And you just hold a seven pound stick out for long periods of time. And you go through all these different emotions of being pissed off, being impatient, feeling like you can't do it. And then like at the end, you always end up in this focus, like state holding it straight out. So it's fair to say that mental focus and that that flow state that you reached really carried over into itc and, and really helped you there the yes that focus that i reached in the mental focus training really helped me out in selection and itc especially in the hard parts where it's challenging and you, get, you still have it's not going to be over anytime soon you got to focus and figure out ways to process that and deal with that 
Yeah. So I'm I'm sure that time at ITC and, and going through selection really have added up and added up to what you're doing now, of course, with Deep End Fitness. How important has that carryover been from your time in MARSOC and the adversity you faced into what you're doing now? I think it's been clutch. When I was right before the Marine Corps, my grandfather had me working as like a su- superintendent of a construction site. And I had anywhere from like 50 to 100 people on the job site every day that I was in charge of. Wow. And uh, a lot of them were illegals. A lot of them were straight out of jail or whatever. And so they would give me all kinds of flack. And I would have to, I couldn't back down to any of them. So it was a big learning lesson and really shaped me and set me up for success for dealing with, I felt like for dealing with like host nation or different countries, being in different countries and working with Iraqis or Afghans or anyone else, and them trying to give me a hard time (laughs) because I've already gotten it like basically down. Because right where I'm from is like on the border of Mexico. Right, yeah. Yeah, so. That perception too, you're having to perceive a bunch of different personalities, obviously, in that scene, working with former prisoners and illegals, and they're probably trying to get by on you, right? And the same thing happens when you're overseas, man. You're always, (laughs) I know, dude, trust me. 100%, bro. Yeah, like guys trying to work through things, and you're just like, man, this guy's full of BS, bro. Mm -hmm. If you don't develop that perception or that idea, it can actually be very dangerous to not read between the lines. Yeah. Because you might think something's going well, like a Shura or something like that. And you realize, man, half the guys in this room are Taliban or that already going in. But then like you really see it if you're good at reading between the lines and you have to be good at that in a special operations role. So, you know, you make it through ITC. Uh, barely. Barely. Nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm Don kidding. said too. Don yeah, said barely. Don, yeah. Yeah, I was, what did Don say? He was boarded and he said it was tough. Were you first time goes on everything? Yeah, I was first time. We Don and I both were. We went all the way through. Okay. But I did get boarded as selection. Mm. Yeah. That was, was stressful. <laughs> Damn it. That was stressful. Why was that? What was the stress of that? Why did that happen? I had two alcohol related incidents on my record. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then I had gone sober. So I didn't drink in the military for 10 years. Wow. And I actually didn't start drinking again until I went into my MBA program at USC. Mm. And uh, that'll th- do that to you. <laughs> yeah. And just like ha- it was also survival and social scenarios for me at that point because I wasn't like good in crowds or at that point. You right. Know what I mean, yeah. And making it through ITC, Don, myself, and one of our friends, Camp, we all uh, trained together from selection to ITC. We all worked at the pool on Camp Pendleton at Horno Pool. Okay. And just trained together every day. And we were working as the McQuist, the water survival instructors at the pool. Okay. So it was cool because we were getting a lot of reps running Marines through. So some of them you have to coach through the process and get them, get them to push or give them tips to swim or be able to complete the different drills. Yeah. Which is really good reps just in general of coaching and yeah. how, what works with some people and what works, what doesn't work. I could see it in the flow between you and Don, even at the pool when you're working with these different groups. There's such good motion and movement between you two. Like you play off of each other extremely well. And that's huge in what you're doing. Yeah. Do do you, so where did you go from there once you made it through ITC? We all thankfully went back to first Raider Battalion. So we went back to the West Coast, which is what we wanted. Mm, Yeah. We're all West Coast Marines. So we all came back to Camp Pendleton. We all went to first Raider Battalion or 
was it? First MSAB at the time. Mm. First Marine Special Operations Battalion. Okay. And and did you and you went from there to Afghanistan? Yeah. Yeah. What was that trip like? You did Helmand? Yeah. Was that tough? Yeah, for sure. But we had we had the senior guys that were with us were just like the top of the top. And we're just salt dogs. Yeah. And a lot of them were former Force Recon guys that just had so much experience. And so these were all the guys that started present day Marine Raiders. So we were coming in just at the second wave or right behind them by a couple of years. And so we looked up to all these guys and they had been just deploying. We had one of our officers that deployed with us to Afghanistan had been blown up the trip before and came back with no legs and still deployed with us operationally. You have that kind of stuff. And it's, dude, this is serious. These are very high level people. A double amputee going over there. Yes. Wow. Incredible, man. To Helmand. To Helmand. To one of the worst like, places in the world. And rolling out everywhere. Jeez. So. Wow. So there's no excuse. No. <laughs> Not when you got that going on, bro. Yeah. No. There's no excuse. No. <laughs> That's incredible, man. Yeah. What did you learn from your first days in combat? Uh, Obviously, you would experience a little bit in Iraq, but Afghanistan, what was the difference there? I think just figuring out like the, like the sounds and knowing like what's when it's real close or when it's not or what when you need to get down when you don't where you know and where to move in relation to what's happening but i think it's it's also learning just high sense of urgency make shit happen now research find every possible shooting position that they could come from look at everything really Go the extra mile to talk, to get information from people, from locals, build better relationship with the Terps, like whatever it is, do it better, high level, like high sense of urgency because we lived in the middle of an enemy village basically for seven months. Wow. So we got hammered. Yeah. Our team did. Mm. We are on a VSO mission. Yeah. What was that like? You guys got probably jacked up quite a bit. You guys brought the fight, I'm sure, but it was probably pretty rough. Yeah, a lot of it was just like going out on security patrols or going out on ambushes and stuff just because you don't want them to get to come all the way in on you, so you have to go out on patrols. But also we're out there, we're supposed to be, we're they're on deployment with objectives that we're hitting. We're doing other missions besides just defending our position. You know what I mean? We're setting up local police forces and doing all this different stuff that they have us doing. Do you have any stories from over there that might have been really hard days where you just, you almost want to erase that from the memory? It's just something difficult to deal with and what you guys saw over there and had to deal with? You know, there's, we definitely, there was a, a few major occasions that when Rick that you met today, he was shot through and through the neck at the same, pretty much in the same five seconds as one of my other good friends that I've told you about, Derek Herrera. Yeah. So he was shot paralyzed from the chest down. And then my buddy Ricky that was there at the pool today was shot through and through the neck. Jeez. And so. What was uh, the chaos of that scene like? It was insane. We had two elements, but again, we had really senior guys with us. Uh, that was a real plus. And we had really good medics. One really good medic with us. 
and Sark. Yeah. His name's Ginger. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. And then we had some real senior guys with us. My buddy Hafiz and Will and Jacqueline were all there. And so when the captain was hit and uh, Rick was hit, Derek called over the radio that we needed to, we knew he needed the medic back that he was hit. So then we broke out of the tree line because we were in the tree line about 300 meters away. Mm. And uh, we broke out of the tree line and started bounding back to the compound. And now it's daytime. They've been looking for us around the village for three hours. We're in a bomb maker village. And we went out there to support an Army SF team that was coming to do an op. But they hit an IED and ended up returning to base. So we ended up being out in this new area that we hadn't been to support this mission, but we ended up by ourselves, so we got surrounded. Jeez. And the enemy starts freaking out in the middle of the night whenever they know that you're there. Yeah. They start running around trying to find you frantically. Yeah. And you can hear them on the radios where, with our interpreters, where they're looking for us. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah. That sounds like a tough mission. It was very challenging, but again, I can sit here and be in victim mode about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> or i can look at it it definitely shaped us into like diamonds all of us that were there yeah. with all the events that we face getting bombed and just wrecked insider attacks that was another one mm. was an insider attack and then tell me about that what was the deal with that it was everything it, this is in my opinion and perspective Everything has second and third order effects. Almost like a butterfly effect. Yes. (laughs) I know what you're talking about, man. I'm on the same way. There we go. Okay. So at that time, over here in the United States, I don't know if you remember, but someone had burned the Quran. Yes, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. So that had happened, and then they had came out with a video about the Prophet Muhammad and made him like, it made it him look like a joke or something like that in a lot of ways right and uh, that got came out like a month later or somewhere like they're the both of those things hit that summer and so all over the villages to the lowest level everybody had that information oh geez and it really so that turned up the ferocity times 10 yeah yeah and the insider attacks had just started Mm. and so that became the peak of insider attacks wow and that yeah. happened with you guys. So yeah. what was the incident? Let's see. So two days before this, we were on an op and one of the one of our other teams in our company had an insider attack where they had an where they had an Afghan police guy dressed as an Afghan police that came in and ended up shooting up some of our teammates or some of our other raiders. Jeez. Yeah. And then, and then two days later, we had ours. So no one was killed in ours, but I'll preface it with that. But it was pretty insane because we lived in an enemy village. And so we were constantly shooting out and we had security towers around our position. And, and we had Afghan special forces that lived with us. Mm-hmm. And it was like me and maybe I think three or four other raiders that lived there or maybe less, maybe two other ones. and then. I think we had an EOD tech and then a SARC, wow. like a medic. So like an Alamo situation. And then we had an army infantry squad with us. And then we had an Afghan special forces team with us. Mm. And and then our ter- interpreters. And so one morning, I was woken up at like 7 a.m. 
and that someone was at the gate that wanted to talk with me. So I got one of the interpreters and I walked outside and someone from the village was interested in like becoming a Afghan local police. And we had been training with them and then he had created a bunch of drama and so told him to go away yeah. because he was creating problems and he didn't really want to be a policeman. That's basically what he was doing. So <clears throat> told him to go away. It's seven o'clock, maybe 7.30 or something. And I go in and I get a bowl of cereal and I sit down outside and I have my pistol on my, I'm wearing like board shorts with a pistol and my, and like a t-shirt and my sunglasses are on top of my head. And uh, cause it's hot. It's like probably it's seven thirty or whatever, but it's probably already 110. And it was August, it was like August 13th or something in here around that time. 2012, I was eating the, I was eating cereal and, and one of the Afghan special forces guys had gone up to the tower and he turned all the weapons inside on our little camp. Oh my gosh. Turned the machine gun, like had his M4 slung, had a pistol and then set up like 12 RPGs. And then he set the first one off. And then after that, he just started hammering. Wow. Hitting all areas that me or my teammates were at, they're hitting my teammates, their barracks room, their little room that they have in the bunker that we lived in. Mm. Direct hits with RPGs. Wow. Um, but the first one hit at like it, near my feet or like around my area and blew me off. And after that, I was unconscious and out of it. Then once I'm starting to realize or wake up from it. I was delirious. So my first thought was that a four-wheeler had exploded because there was a four-wheeler right next to the table. Yeah. And I thought that we got hit with... Well, also, anything can happen in Afghanistan. Of course, yeah. Anything, at it's any time. West, yeah. Yeah, like people could come out of tunnels. Things can just explode randomly. Things are just not... Like, road disintegrates. It's just a crazy place in general. But... Yeah. So anyway, my, I was lights out to where I couldn't see, but I could, I was fully conscious and I was awake, but I couldn't see. So I was, and my vision was black. And I just remember cause my sunglasses were on top of my head. So I was freaking out a little bit. And then all of a sudden it flashed to where I could see. And it was just like weird series of events. You know what I mean? Like one of the Afghan leaders. Afghan special forces guys was running with an RPG and and the other guy had a bag of RPGs up towards the tower and then they dropped them and ran out. And one of the guys ran out of our camp, which is just unheard of because it was like in the daytime and you don't go into the, you don't run into the village during the daytime. Like you don't even leave the wall. You're, you're secure. You stay secure. Right. You know what I mean? It's not safe in that village. So he ran out. So people are like, one guy just ran out. Like someone just, one of the Afghan special forces guys just ran out of the village. So things were chaotic. And if you can think about it, like we're getting hit with RPGs every 15 seconds or 30 or a minute at the most that he's reloading and hitting us. And so we felt like we were under mortar attack or something. Yeah. At least I did. I thought that they had us locked in with mortars. Mm. 
like straight up a, a team yeah. a team because psychologically i don't know i just couldn't think that it was coming from inside of our own camp right it just couldn't it didn't register yeah but i then i had like <clears throat> afterwards i rolled over and i went into the terps living space which is just right there and they were in there and i looked at them and they were like big problem <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> Oh my God, I got to get out of here. I got to get somewhere else. <laughs> so I I made my way to I'm a, Mr. Magoo, if you know what that is. Mr. Magoo'd my way into the operations center. <laughs> and my two buddies were in there. And then like a little bit after that, everything's destroyed and it's wow. still exploding. And whenever I get in there, he started hitting the operations center. Oh like, my God. It was crazy. So it was like, boom, felt like, Men in Black, where they just erase your memory. Yeah. And we're like looking and we're delirious and we're laughing and just, just out of it at certain points of it. Yeah. But then also it's very serious and we're figuring out what the situation is. The dark humor and the chaos of combat, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And some people are not, are, weren't doing so well. You yeah. know what I mean? But when we, about that time, so one of the army guys came over and, and identified that one of the Terps interpreters had told him that one of the Afghans gone crazy in the tower and needed to get killed. Mm. So then we cleared out and basically cleared our way around the building and we linked up with the other Afghan special forces guys and then they went up and cleared it. And Took him out. Yeah. yeah. He was pretty like, you think of someone that shot, this is like a semi-enclosed tower, right? Yeah. You think about someone that shot, I don't know, 12 RPGs or whatever it was and that the back blast alone is just gonna I don't even know how he was in there doing what he was doing. Jeez. He was very committed. He vo he <laughs> voted when he woke up when he woke up and he just rode it to the wheels completely collapsed. Jeez. I've yeah. never so it, it's crazy. it's wild to fight an enemy that's that committed. In a way, mirror the Marine Corps in that you guys are fully committed to destroying, seeking out and destroying the enemy. There are stories, and I've seen videos, Marines kicking IEDs on the roadways in Iraq. And so, in a way, you're meeting your match. Yeah. Because they are systemically, ideologically trained to despise you in your very existence. So much so that they'll destroy themselves to get you. It's wild. And so you guys were able to get out of that, but it, sh it shows how good your training was and that nobody was killed. No, no Raiders were killed, right? No army, no, no, no soldiers. No. Wow. That's incredible. You made it out to see another day. Yeah. And yeah, it's weird to think about the effects of that because now you're sitting here, we're sitting on Dom Cruz's rooftop overlooking a beautiful skyline. <laughs> you're killing it with all these incredible initiatives in this world. So Obviously, you know, I'm a Christian. I think God had another plan for you, but I think that's awesome, man, that you made it through. And when you, when, so how long was that deployment? Seven months? Yeah. Okay. Did you feel like you guys had a really positive effect over there? I feel like it's in a lot of ways that we had good effects with just working with our counterparts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's pretty much an impossible situation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're out there like doing something that's like completely against, it's not, it's the least amount of flow. It's like creating Las Vegas and taking all the materials out to the middle of the desert and, and launching like a project like that. That's, we're going out to Afghanistan that's been contested since pretty much 
the beginning of Afghanistan. And then we are attempting to make a positive shift that stays, right? That, yeah. that endures. So a lot of it was, it's very hard to sustain because when we leave, the money's not there and the support and the ammo and the, also the, the cameras and the security and just that extra, you know, 10 layers of support that keeps them functioning on every level. Mm-hmm. When we leave that, no matter how good we train them, it's hard for them to sustain that. Yeah. And I think about all the time, I, me and my friends always had this saying, you, you can't kill an idea. You cannot kill an idea. And that was what I felt was the problem in Iraq and Afghanistan is when you're fighting that extremism and in, in that idea, you can kill however many dudes you want, but that idea is passed on. And the extremism of that idea and the, the just pure f- fervor and passion, it keeps living to, to the point where it's passed on again and again. So you, can, you have to create systems of education that really change an area, but that takes decades, sometimes centuries. And you see all the mistakes that we made and the British made and the Russians made, and then you repeat some of those same mistakes and you can't make people want democracy. You cannot make people want freedom. You can't, that's, that takes, you just can't, right? No. So it's, it's funny. Cause when I talked to a lot of these Vietnam veterans, they saw the same things. It's like that enforced democracy, Coca-Cola America comes over and rocks things and yeah. tries to create a shift in a culture. And the shifts are small and they take years and decades and centuries, like I said, but changing the culture is it's almost impossible especially if people don't want it right yeah i did like working with the afghans though they were very entertaining and a lot of time but i it i did enjoy working with them and the interpreters too a couple of our interpreters i know for sure have made it back to america too that's awesome yeah yeah of course there are great people in every culture and, and i met some incredible iraqis as well in my time over there And it's incredible because I remember meeting an Iraqi in a university setting who was like crying when he shook my hand and thanked me for going over there. Yeah. And then in those moments, it's yeah, but I get, I guess it kind of was worth it just to get that, Mm. just to receive that thanks. Like I had a chance in an American education because of our efforts. And I think that's really powerful. What what do you think was your biggest takeaway from your time over there and and coming back? Man, it's a tough one. I know. Just being, in that situation with making things happen and uh, in that environment was very challenging. And again, those things shape you too. Being in that situation really helped shape my, me and what I knew that I was capable of. And it was very chaotic and that unlocks a new level of flow too. Mm. You know what I mean? And that chaos. And then you're also having to perform and do things that are way out, stretch yourself in every single way you can imagine, stretch yeah. all the way. And once you, and then once you start getting comfortable in that and you start finding new levels of flow and performance where, you know, cause if it's too chaotic at first, then yeah, you're not going to be, feel like you're in flow. You yeah. know what I mean? Once you can start to. It's just like skydiving. The first couple of years, it's a little bit chaotic, but then once you start get a few to where you understand what it's going to be like, then you can start to flow. Yeah. Creating a system of order in the midst of chaos. How did you, when you got back, did a lot of those demons follow you home? Did you feel like you had a lot of trauma in your life from that time overseas or 
did you feel pretty at peace with it? I've had, I've, I feel like whenever you boil it down that a lot of the trauma was from childhood. Yeah. Now there are some weird memories that stuck with me with the insider attack, like some of the weird stuff with, we had like mass casualty where a bunch of our Afghans got blown up at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we dealt with that, seeing some of the patients. And then we would have almost a patient every day or a lot of time. I mean, multiple days sometimes for the whole trip. Wow. It was no joke. And some of the times seeing someone that just got half of their head blown off and then how that, what that, what kind of state that puts someone in. Someone that you were just talking to five minutes ago, they just left and they just got blown up and now they're back and you're like, it's just a crazy experience. You know what I mean? And then they expire. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How do you, how did you find your peace from some of those early childhood experiences? And are you, st- are you still looking for a lot of that? But wh- where did you, where did that peace stem from if you did find it? Yeah, I did a lot of healing work since I got out. I got out in 2017 and I think in September of 2019, that's when I did my first DMT toad journey. Mm. And so that was a huge breakthrough for me with yeah. healing. What I learned about myself and what I learned about the situation was that when I got out, I started going back to these memories a lot because I had done some, you know, you do some therapy getting out. And I think that really kicked it up for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're, and then you get out and then you don't really have a therapist. And I, I think I went through a thing called rapid response therapy where they go in and they attempt to close out bad data files or whatever you want to call it. And I think that just kicked it up too. Like hmm. I just brought up all of the memories. Like it opened Pandora's box basically. And then I started being like a victim mindset of like, how did this happen to me? Why did I have a peeping Tom? You know, and then like, why did I live? Hmm. And then like a weird survivor guilt thing, you know, and I was... Just like going back to these same things. And like when you go back to those same thoughts, it becomes like super highway and you just, it's easy to go back there all the time. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was also just like thinking about my childhood because my kids at the time, my son was like seven or eight. He was seven. And that was when my stuff had kicked off. So I started having flashbacks and I was thinking like, how did this happen to me if this wouldn't happen one day in my house? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I got into that weird victim mindset. And when I did that toe journey, I had been in a bad mental state and also had TBI. And I think I've had other concussions too from car accidents and whatever else, fights and being smashed with bottles and whatever else. So what was that journey like for you, that, that DMT trip? It was pretty crazy. Like a death rebirth experience. <clears throat> really? Yeah. Can you explain that? I've been having a lot of mental health kind of issues, like I was saying, and had a, a bad feedback loops that were just repeating over and over in my head. And I'm driving myself a little bit crazy and then going back to memories that I had, mostly of childhood, but also of some different explosions and stuff like that. And so I got to a point, but also during that time I was having those breakdowns. I was also... I was in business school. I had at USC and I was doing an incubator accelerator program 
at San Diego Sports Innovators. So I was pretty busy. I was running the Marine Raider Challenge with my buddy Derek and Don and Rick. And, and then also we had launched UTL and Deep in Fitness. So I was really like pushing that from the beginning and doing a lot of training. And I had started training. In 2018, we got contacted to do an off-season NFL package at one of the pools. The one that we were at earlier in San Diego, La Jolla. Oh, awesome. Wow. Yeah. And so it was pretty cool because I, I, we had... We had an Olympic swimmer train, come and train before that. I think we'd been up for six months. And uh, when all these NFL guys came in, I was like, these guys are top of the food chain at what they do. And they really got an amazing value out of what we provided for them over six weeks in their off season. And so we trained them every Wednesday for an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And in water confidence, and then we would do some different drills underwater. And then we would also play underwater torpedo league as well wow with those guys what explain underwater torpedo league for those who maybe don't listen to don's podcast or maybe if your podcast comes out first drops first i heard mine's dropping like real soon no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah no what was the question bro what 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 is uh underwater torpedo yeah league? can you explain that man that's a good question so utl is a uh sport underwater sport we with five on five in the deep end so you have five players or swimmers on one side five on the other with miniature hockey goals that are sunk in at the bottom of the pool so if you imagine water polo and you shrunk the nets and you put them at the bottom of the pool five on five with substitutes and and, and that's how we play and we're using a torpedo so the torpedo can glide underwater 10 to 15 feet in one pass wow and uh, like you saw today and so we actually just came out with our own torpedoes because the main company that made them for 25 years stopped manufacturing them. So we started our own little manufacturing operation in China at one of the factories. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Because we had to get the exact tools that, the, that they made before. So, right. Yeah. Wow. That has got to be a difficult sport. You're dealing with all kinds of adversities built in, including having to be underwater. For sure. For significant amounts. Of and what we've found is that anybody can, as long as you screen them and train them in a very systematic, like crawl, walk, run, building block approach, and they don't move on to step two without confidently completing step A or one, then you're constantly developing them and grooming them. Everybody goes through deep in fitness to get to UTL. And so you go through a screener process that you've seen a couple of times over the last few days, but it consists of a 10 minute water tread, a 25 meter brick tow, holding a five to 10 pound brick out of the water as you tow it across. So that simulates like you're doing a rescue on someone wow. and you're towing them. Um, a 25 meter underwater swim, and then the last one is a goggles retrieval. So you go down to the bottom of the pool with your hands behind your back and you retrieve the goggles or mask with, with your mouth, with your teeth. Wow, man, that sounds tough. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw you do it today in such a systematic way that it makes it all a lot easier because of the building block. You're providing those foundational materials that they can work off of yes. as they go. Yes, and we're showing them exactly how to do it and how to do it with their body type. If they're negatively buoyant, We'll show them how to do it. If they're positively buoyant, we'll show them how to do it a different way. You know what I mean? If whatever way that will be most efficient for whenever they're working with. That's incredible, man. Yeah. So are, are most of the people in this league, are they former college pro athletes or are they, or are they just coming in off the street? What is the 
population like in your in that league? What we usually say is it's a warrior class of people, and it's all types of from military or former military or future military or pro fighters, Olympic swimmers, crossfitters, free divers, surfers, all these different types of warriors in their own stuff. So we even have, we also have synchronized swimmers that train with us. We have a professional acrobat that's one of our instructors in Vegas. All kinds of just like interesting. There's an article that was written by Outside that was the wild world of underwater torpedo league. Mm, outside magazine? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one was pretty, pretty cool. Cause I mean, we've had people that have moved out here just for, to be in a leak wow. from across the country. <laughs> and like one of, one of them lived at Don's on Don's couch. What? Yeah. When he got out here, he ended up being, he's in army boot camp right now. Right? Wow. Yeah. Is yeah. that kind of mind blowing when you it have is. guys that affected by it? That yeah. They're willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And we mentor a lot of kids. We mentor and we coach a lot of individuals and different types of people from the MMA fighters that are in their fight camps or we're working with them in different areas or these NFL guys, or it's all translated to training a lot of pro surfers, working with different challenge athletes. And then now I've been spending a lot of time over the last year, like training and coaching CEOs and different like leader business leaders. Man, I'm seeing a lot of crossover here between what we're doing now with connecting with a mental health platform because yeah. you guys are developing mental resilience, right? Yeah. And through your, through your program. So maybe we could send some guys your way. <laughs> yeah. And so I'll just real quick want to go over the principles of free yes. and how that relates to like... You get a book. Yeah. yeah. So we got a book called the Free Your Mind Guidebook. And basically one of the athletes that we train, her name's Liz Carmouche. She's a, she was the first female UFC and she's the fourth ranked number four flyweight, female flyweight in the world still right now, but she's in Bellator. She just changed organizations. She recommended that we write a book because the free operating system that we created, that we train off of, which is focus, relaxation, economy of motion and efficient breathing has like really helped her transform in a lot of different areas in her life, even with her relationships and other stuff. She's been having breakthroughs because we've so she's had so much that's really touched her and caught on for her so much. So by her telling me, that's when I started to think, okay, how could we do that? And at the time I was doing this pilot program with Don, where we were coaching a lot of CEOs and individuals that had never trained with at the pool or never trained with them in person, but they're going through this new free program that we were doing, like the free your mind. So it's a crawl, walk, run, fly. So it's week one, week two, week three, week four. And basically I sent them different, I was just sending these individuals different questions each week that was basically pulling out all of the things that created drag for them or that basically, so then for mental focus, like basically how many tabs are open on your computer and then how do we close the ones that don't matter? Mm. Your computer is like your consciousness or your brain and your thinking brain. So how do we close out those tabs that don't matter? How do we eliminate drag and noise from like you being on your phone extra hours that you don't really need to be or want to be and do anything else like you going and doing this one activity that, you know, always drains you. How about doing something else now that you've mm. identified that like three weeks in a row Wow! or that this person that you work with every week is doing something to you and that you, now you've told me two weeks and I'm your, I'm like your accountability coach. That's what my role is when, once I start working with you like that. So yeah. I'm just guide, like guiding questioning and then you're leading 
yourself to where to the destination i don't have because i don't have any attachment to it as long as you elevate right yeah but where you're going is up to you and week one week two week three week four and it's a lot of it is what's working what's not working for what's serving you what's not serving you what who is not like all this different stuff and then so we took all that feedback that we had been getting with these different clients over the last six months and this is right when we went into lockdown Mm. And, and those stressors increased. Yeah. Yeah. So right when we went into lockdown, I was like, okay, we did a SWOT analysis, Don and I did, which is, if you don't know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So we went through all of our strengths with COVID. We had just gotten put into quarantine. This is like in March. A lot of our investors had fallen out because the market had crashed yeah. at that point. Wow. Yeah. So I got back from Vegas. I was at a coaching thing. And uh, I get back and Don and I met in San Clemente and we, it's like strengths, our network, our, each other, our relationship, and then all the different things that we had going for us, weaknesses, like lockdown, they're going to lock all the pools down, all the different things, opportunities, finish the book, like the free your mind guidebook, because we had been talking about it for a couple of weeks at that point. Yeah. So that was an opportunity at, because we're going to be on lockdown. And then work, really work, build out the internals of our, our team. That was our opportunities. And then really map out our expansion and the train the trainer program and all that stuff. Wow. And so that was where we put all of our like bandwidth since it started. Opportunities for growth in a dark time. Yeah. Which is Marine Raiders are able to see that. <laughs> yeah. And then they shut down the pools. We have private pools with friends that we have and then. We go to Airbnbs. There's like Swimply app now, which is like Airbnb for pools. But the way we work is we have a lot of pools on our insurance. So we'll find a good aquatic center, a big pool facility, and we'll look to put that on our insurance. So we'll link up with them. So right now we have locations all over Southern California. And then uh, we're putting the two locations that you saw in Scottsdale, Arizona. Austin, we just got the one downtown, and then we're launching in Miami, and we have a couple pools there, one that's been running for a month or two. That's huge, dude. So many people, and this is fine because a nine-to-five job is just what some people are destined for that they want to do, but you have developed a lifestyle that is incredibly powerful. It's leading people to positivity. It's leading people through their own mental adversities how much does that mean to watch others be able to change through what you're doing? We just went on a five-day trip. That yeah. was fun, dude. I know there's a lot of stress That's surrounding dope. it, but it's work. Right? That's your job. Yep. That's pretty cool, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. What it's does awesome. that mean to you to watch people's lives changed? It's amazing. It's 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 that ripple effect, the positive shift, seeing people continue to empower themselves and reach higher levels. You know what I mean? Because giving is one of the coolest parts about being human. That's you know, that's pretty much it, like coaching. And then also it's two-way feedback. So you learn in every situation, even if you're coaching, it doesn't, someone that can't swim versus someone that's an Olympic swimmer, you're going to learn so much off of coaching each of those individuals. Yeah, that's huge. And you're going to learn about yourself. Yeah, I know I, I could speak for myself when I say, and I'm pretty sure I've spoken a lot about this on the podcast, but for me, like being able to give back has been the most healing aspect of my life yeah like when i'm not focused on my own internals i know there's yeah. time for self-reflection for me all society and culture preaches self right right and it's funny when we look outward and when we really look to help the community i think a lot of those strengths that we have from our military service 
bleed over into what we do and create our real, our true joy in life. Being able to give back to the community, probably watching some of those victories that you see. People coming out from Houston to Austin and seeing them in a tough experience. Maybe it's tough going for them, but at the end of it all, they're like, wow, I need more of this in my life. That's powerful, man. Yeah, it's really amazing. And Don and I have done that. Mm -hmm. We did it in New York. We did it in Miami. We did it in Hawaii. We did it in Vegas. And we've done it all over Southern California. Wow. So. That's incredible. Yeah. If you could see the Irvine sessions, Irvine sessions, we're still having like 30 people. Wow. And the community's tight. It's amazing, but real focused. So I got off track because the free acronym is mental focus. So we outline what are your top three or four goals? And usually, and that's what we'll work on over the, over a month or over every, over the next 30 days when we start working. And then that started with, we would work with these fighters during their fight camps and usually they're eight weeks long and we would have three strategic goals that they wanted to work on throughout their fight camp. And then we would be training with them at the pool as well. Mm. So it was like a, they would get multiple things, mm. values. And so this isn't just a rest and recovery thing for them. No, no. it's been, it's a high level, like leadership mental focus program for elite athletes and so we've been able to so it was a word of mouth thing since we had the nfl guys and it was also like i had this it's just if you build it they will come they're (laughs) already just coming just come back and then after that then david marsh walked up to us one day at the pool and he started coming to our sessions who's the most winningest swim coach olympic swim coach david marsh wow and he started coming to the sessions and then we started getting to train a lot of the Olympic swimmers that are training for Tokyo. Jeez. And then we started training UFC fighters because one of the football players, NFL guys, Manti Teo, went to high school with Lima Leigh McFarlane. And then we ended up, she ended up coming out and she's the Bellator champion at 125. Wow. She has a fight coming up right now. So yeah, she's I, training with us. And we're at the house of one of the most dominant UFC fighters of all time right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a guy who's your close friend, now, yeah. Dominic Cruz. That's got to be a man. little surreal in some ways, right? Yeah. He's experienced growth through this program too. Yeah, he's amazing. That's, yeah. that's so awesome. Yeah. What do you think is your overall goal for this? You and Don, what, what do you want to see come from this? And, and what do you want your legacy left to be? Mm. I want it to touch as many people as we can, but I know it's, I I know that everything's going to develop just as it's supposed to, but that, and then see UTL get to the Olympics. There's Um, no reason it can't. Right. Uh. It's a gladiator sport. We believe that. Yeah. And that the nature of the Olympics was built off of that. that It's a 360 degree sport where males and females can both compete against each other as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it brings both the populations into the sport, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. There's a big effect there. And I think, Prime, one of the greatest things that I've seen about all of this is just the general... It, it, I notice a lot of special operators, special forces soldiers coming out and creating programs that are really training people to push into their adversity and not away from it which is great. I was just with the guys from Heroes and Horses and they take you on these 40-day pack trips and it's the same thing where they're forcing you into pressure situations that you're not used to, you know? And so they're going up into the backcountry of Montana and and taking these guys out on these 40-day pack trips. Guys that are coming off of black tar heroin and stuff like that and just making them wrestle with their demons. And you guys are doing that in a lot of ways too with your program. And I think that's pretty powerful. I think it's a great legacy to leave as the special operations guys come home and create a, create a culture. So 
what do you want? What is Prime Hall's legacy when he leaves this planet? What do you want people to remember uh, about you? Man, that I was a good dad, that I was a good husband, that I was a good friend. And I pushed and did everything that I could to empower those around me and make an impact. Mm, that's powerful, man. Prime, I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast. Anything else that you want to push or put out there? I, I know Don yeah. did some of that, but I, I, anything that you want to push, let us know. Yeah. So we said focus, our relaxation. So that's basically like your work-life balance, but also your energy. And then there's a lot of ways that we can work on that. And then economy of motion is how much What's your pattern of life? How much movement do you have? Where are you going? What are the activities that you're doing? And how can we rearrange that to flow better? Even if we stack activities or maybe since this trip, you don't make any sales or it doesn't work for you ever. How about you don't do that trip? You do this other one. But we really break that down because we want to have full efficiency too. We want our everything that we're doing to actually pay off for us. And then the last one is efficient breathing. So we do a lot of stuff different like diaphragmic breathing exercises and box breathing, triangle breathing, soothing breathing, and then the upper regulation work to really engage the diaphragm. It also opens them up and wake and shifts them into a higher state of focus and openness as well. It's amazing to me how much that breath work, how vital that is because we went to that little Austin friends giving session. We're doing that breath. <laughs> I don't know if we That's can put DMT breathing. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if mm -hmm. we could put this on the podcast, <laughs> but we're, we're breathing. It takes you to a different level. Dude, it almost, I had this euphoria just through this, just through these different breathing patterns. Like yeah. I felt this sense of euphoria and, uh, calmness. I know. And ultimately, a little bit of joy built into that. It's strange. You don't think about breathing creating that, no. but you do because that's all you do. That's yeah. what you're creating. I know. I have a DMT breathing coach here in San Diego. He lives in Encinitas mm. and he does a class once a week. And so I've been working with that guy for probably six months now, but I met him a couple of years back. He was an apprentice under Wim Hof. His name's Reese. But the DMT breathing is a little bit different. But yeah, it definitely takes you to a different, higher level and I would say vibration. How is the DMT breathing different? What is that like? The DMT breathing is a little bit more intense from my experience to where you feel like a heightened sense of euphoria, mm -hmm. but also it's like, it's a gradual thing. Like you start off and you'll start kind of buzzing when you start the breathing and then it'll just feel like you summit, if that makes any kind of sense. <laughs> You're just... I'm kind of getting it, yeah. Yeah, like so remember the other day we were doing like the in through the nose, in through the mouth and then out, in, in, out, in, in, out. Or like in, out, but real rapid to where you're getting it, but you're not letting it all out. You know, you're over oxygenating or whatever it is. And then you're holding different patterns. Right of mixing it up to where you really like blast off, but just with your breathing. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's a reset too. You know what I mean? Especially if you've been on computers or phones or emails and like stuff like that. I highly recommend it if you're, if you're into breathing or. That's amazing. Performance work, mental performance. Prime, this has uh, been hugely educational for me, as was Don. And it's, I, I just want to say it's been a real privilege to be out on the road with you guys these past yeah. five days. I feel like I've learned 
even a, a lot about myself as well with the program is every project. It's it's a new learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. It grows me. I, I realize how much I don't know. Yeah. And that's really powerful in, in my own growth. So thank you. Yeah, dude. Thanks for what you do, telling our stories. And, and shout out to Danny for setting this up and recommending us. And we'll put the link. Can we put the link of him and Josh in the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. To support. So Danny Dreher, Josh Negron. Yeah. They're in a rough situation right now up against manslaughter charges with the command. Two of the best Marine Raiders that you could possibly meet, highly decorated. I've known them both for a long time and just give full support to them. And so, yeah, thank you, Danny, for setting this up and recommending that we do this. Yes, that's huge. Yeah, yeah I'd like to thank Danny myself because he's an incredible human being and I feel uh, very passionately tied to both him and Destiny. And talk Same. about a living hell and what she's gone through and losing Liam Flynn, an incredible, another incredible raider. One who is, his legacy is mammoth. When you speak about Liam, everybody knows that guy. Right. And so to go through that loss and then to experience what she's going through with Danny is just, it's humbling. It's harsh. It's tragic. And But I know he's going to come out of the other side of this stronger. And I really, I'm really praying for him heavily. And I know he knows that. So. Yeah, definitely. We'll provide links for that and for everyone to check out. But Prime, it's been a privilege, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think we got to step out of here at some point, Dominic. Dom's going to want to (laughs) eat. Yeah. Thank you, bro. Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you so much. see you in Texas, man. You're moving. Can't wait to have you, bro. Yep. And I'm looking forward to hearing Don's too. Don's the man. Dude, we couldn't do anything without Don and our team and Ricky and... All the amazing people that work with us. Man, that's it, dude. You need that network, man. To all those of you listening, we'll provide the proper links and social media handles and all that for what these guys are doing. But we just really want to thank Prime and Don for being a part of this project and thank their sponsors, you know, out there, Elevate Weekly and 10,000 and Rifle Supply for coming through. Your man, Ryan, really brought that home. (laughs) Cracking the the whip. (laughs) Ryan's the man, dude. He was the one of the keys too. him and Grant for this trip was awesome. Yeah, those those guys are great. So those of you listening in, make sure to check out all the links that we put in the description. And most of all, don't forget our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.